You've been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement. Or even worse, that you don't qualify because of where you started out. That's just not true. It's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy. It's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it. On the Get Ready for the Future show, we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today. The journey to true financial independence begins right here, and it starts with you. It's a new year, but the mission is the same. We are here to help people discover, protect, and share true financial independence. Happy 2024, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Get Ready for the Future show. Looks like it's cold in here, doesn't it? I've got my Mr. Rogers sweater on, and you've got your quarter zip on. Yeah. Well, maybe we need a little more heat in this joint. I don't well, know. But. <laughs> I, I would, uh, you know, after about November, I would take more heat for the you know, rest of the winter. Yes. I, just, I'm that way. Here's what I say. I say, give me a white Christmas, make it cold, make it snow, and then I'm ready for 75 yeah, degrees it needs, again. It needs to melt off uh, like on the 26th or yes. 27th and, and be back to 75 degrees. Well, I, I would agree. I, we haven't started the new year like that. So we're braced for some cold weather, but it is a new year. Hope you had a, a great holiday season and you're ready to get after it in 2024 and hopefully make some changes that will help you on your journey to true financial independence. That's why we exist here at Genwell Financial Advisors, and it is why we do the Get Ready for the Future show. And for the past year or so, we have been taking your questions and helping provide answers on the air during our podcast, during our radio show, during this live stream, uh, Get Ready for the Future show. So we're going to kick it off today with a couple of questions. We usually have about four per show, John. That's usually where we land. But we occasionally get some questions that are, we'll call it themed. And mm-hmm. we have a couple of questions here that are kind of along the same topic, and we're going to we're going to camp out on them today. So only two questions for us today, but we're going to be talking about um, some some things that Dave Ramsey says on his show. And and as we tee this up, I think before we even put the question out there, let's talk a little bit about our past relationship with Dave Ramsey and and how we've built our uh, financial philosophies and planning tendencies as well. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, first of all, uh, this is not going to be a Dave bash fest, as some people would do. People love to hate on Dave. But Dave has literally uh, helped millions of Americans from a financial standpoint, particularly in the area of debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been very strong on helping people to get out of debt. And, and we've got a, a past relationship uh, with the Ramsey organization. We were at one time endorsed local provi- providers for uh, the uh, Dave Ramsey program, or I think they're called Smart Vester Pros now. Uh, we participated in that program for a while. Uh, we've been to some uh, Dave Ramsey events. Uh, a lot of the business philosophy that we use to run GenWealth as a company comes from Dave's Entree Leadership Program, which is an amazing program, has has helped small business owners all across the country, done really, really well for that. Uh, we've been to those events. We've met Dave, had conversations with him. He's a good guy. He really is a very good guy. But we have some differences with him in some areas that we're going to explore today, Scott. Uh, but I don't think that those differences need to overshadow what he's accomplished. If, mm-hmm. And just real quickly, I'll, I'll tell you, that he sold over 11 million personal finance books, has had over 5 million people participate in Financial Peace University, and his legacy of helping people is just absolutely indisputable in, in those areas. But there are things that, that we have a responsibility as financial advisors to, to call out 
when we see that there is misinformation or miscommunication of information or however you want to characterize it, I don't understand why the things that have been said in the investment realm have been said, but I do know that they are in error and it is uh, what's at jeopardy is your financial independence if you listen to something that is an error. So it is our responsibility to call that out. So hopefully uh, that sets the stage for yeah. what we're going to talk about here uh, as we delve into the, the subject today. And quite frankly, I think it's important to note that that's even gotten back to Dave in the past, and he has modified his stances on other topics. He, yes. he for a long time, railed against annuities just in general as being bad. Uh, he has uh, had some pushback at that and has listened to it and has kind of modified that's right. his stances. So, you know, the, the act of... Uh, of what we're going to go through in this show is really just to point out what we know is based on what we do every day uh, and and not at all intended to uh, be negative uh, towards Dave. And I would also say, you know, even from not just a professional level, but even a personal level, I've read his books. I've applied some of his, uh, Absolutely. Some of I his have tenets and some of his basic principles and really appreciate that as well. So as we jump in, our first question is, from Carl in Sherwood, and he writes, I hear you guys talk periodically about Dave Ramsey and his philosophies on money. Where do you agree and disagree with the things that Dave says on his radio show and why? Well, let's start with the debt. John, we we talked, you already mentioned that a debt-free life is the best life. There is no question about that. And right. we work with our clients many times because our goal is to, for our clients to reach true financial independence. You can't truly be independent financially when you have debt hovering over your head. Hey, I'm going to quote Dave because he quotes uh, the Bible in this. He, he says, you know, the, the, the borrower is a slave to the lender. And that is true. That is very true. And, and I don't care what the circumstances are. You are indebted to someone if you have a mortgage. You're indebted to someone if you have credit card debt. You're indebted. You have an obligation to pay that person before you pay anybody else. And so that is a, a, a big deal. And we agree that that debt is bad for the most part. Now, you have to have some debt in most cases to have a home to live in. And so we understand that. Uh, but credit card debt, particularly revolving interest credit card debt, is a cancer on so many people in our society today. You know, Dave's optimistic view on wealth creation, uh, you know, he we believe that almost everyone who has ever bet against the American economy has lost that bet because we believe in the long-term nature of the growth of the American economy and investing in equity mutual funds. We think that is a, a true and right philosophy. Dave uh, uh, adheres to that too. And then uh, Scott, his slow and steady method of building wealth, uh, uh, basically just saving and investing and, 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 and doing it. Yeah. The, the, he points out very accurately that one of the biggest factors in financial independence is just getting started to do the habit of savings. Yeah. And, and we would agree with that as well. So yeah. all that being said, that there's a lot of, of agreement in the things that, that we do and the things that Dave does. But just like I know you don't have any family members like this, but I got some family members that I disagree on religion and on politics, on you name it, on what channel to watch on TV and all of those things. Those things, uh, you know, those are family issues that you learn to take care of and live with and hopefully educate people in, in ways that that come around to your way of thinking. Some of those things are minor, but some are really important. 
And in the financial world, some can be incredibly harmful to your uh, uh, journey for financial independence if you are led astray by some of the things that are said. So uh, I want to basically share with you a video clip. This video clip is Dave on his radio show talking about a discussion, and it really didn't have anything to do with a withdrawal rate on a retirement program, but it got to that. And so this discussion goes into the question of what is a reasonable withdrawal rate from your IRA in retirement? I mean, if you're making 12 in good mutual funds and the S&P is average 11.8, and if inflation for the last 80 years is average 4%, if you make 12 and you need to leave 4% in there for inflation raises, that leaves you 8 So I'm perfectly comfortable drawing eight. But if you want to be a little bit conservative, seven, but sure not five or three. Well, I was trying to back check it because, you know, three to five, I thought that was a big range. And a lot of the studies I found showed. Well, there's a lot of studies that are stupid in this space. It's just wrong. Listen, man, the math I just gave you is the math. If you're making 12% and inflation is four, and you leave four in there, so your nest egg grows by four. It's simple. Eight is what's left over. Now, Scott, there is all kinds of things wrong with that comment that that Dave made, and he it wasn't just a, a slip of the tongue. It was an emphatic no. You can you can withdraw eight percent. Now, let me say, if you were getting consistently every year twelve percent return on your investment then Dave's math works. The problem is you're not getting 12% every year. I don't care who you are. Hmm. Uh, it, you're just not. That's not how the equity markets work. And Dave is, is uh, we're going to talk about this in just a second, but Dave is, is really all about investing 100% in equities regardless of how old you are. We'll talk about that in just a second. But let's talk about this 12% mutual fund thing. Occasionally, you will see a mutual fund perform at 12% or above. In right. one year, it could go to 20 or 30%. Absolutely. But the next year, it could be down 12%, and that's the problem. Yeah. You look at just the last couple of years in the equity market, whether you measure it by the S&P 500 index or you take a look at some growth mutual funds, which Dave is a big proponent of, and you can see double-digit negatives in 2022 – Right before that, in 2021, it was double-digit positives. Right. And likely in 2023, you saw some double-digit or at least high single-digit positives. But if you take a look at this concept of, and and Dave promotes this a lot with the 12% mutual funds, the reality is over a long term, even 12% is a bit of a stretch. Let's take a look at this graphic we have for our uh, viewing audience of the S&P 500 average annual returns, picking out several time frames. So this was uh, five years, 10 years, 20 years, and 30 years, you see on the screen, that in all ending at the end of 2022. Now, of course, as we already highlighted, 2022 was a very bad year for the stock market. But over the last five years, from 2018 to 2022, the S&P 500 index was up 7.5% on average annually over the last 10 years you're looking pretty good but you're still not touching 12 10.41 percent over the last 20 years the index returned 7.64 percent on average annually and over the last 30 years if you stretch it out going back to 1993 it's 7.52 
percent. So you can see there if you're going to, you know, as Dave said, the math is the math. Well, that's the math. Now, you obviously could say, well, you're not a, and you can't uh, invest directly into the index. So a mutual fund is not the index, but you can bet many of the companies that make up that index are in those growth mutual funds. It's a proxy for how the market exactly. is doing. And, and here is the harm is that 12% mutual funds sounds great, but it sets unrealistic expectations. Scott, uh, when we were participating in the uh, in the endorsed local provider or, or a SmartVestor Pro program, we would have people come in from that program and go, I want one of those 12% mutual funds. Yeah. And we would try to educate them about, no, but Dave says there's 12% mutual funds. And I love what Janet did with this one time. There was a guy that was just pounding the table. He wanted those 12% mutual funds and we weren't giving it to him. And Janet looked at him and said, let me ask you a question. If I had a unicorn... Do you think I'd keep it in the back closet back here or would I put it in the zoo and charge admission? Oh, you'd put it in the zoo and charge admission. Well, you know what? I don't have a unicorn and I don't have a 12% mutual fund because neither one of those things exist. And so it really is a, a misnomer that has gotten out into the public because of the generalization that has been made about this and the over-optimistic view of what equities will do for you. Will you occasionally have a period of time that uh, a mutual fund or a, uh, an investment in equities might do 12%? Yes, but your longer-term average is going to need to be moderated from that. And there's a great difference in the outcome that you get in a 12% return versus a 7 or 8% rate of return, which yep. is, in our opinion, way more reasonable. Yeah, the long-term average of the S&P 500 index, as we just showed you on the screen, more like between seven and eight. So that would be the expectation, again, over a long period of time, not annually. And then the other part, I think the next part we need to get into here is, uh, according to that comment, when you hear Dave talk about it, there is an assumption that in retirement, you are going to be withdrawing from a 100% equity portfolio. And from a financial planning standpoint, that just doesn't make sense either. Dave recommends 25% aggressive growth, 25% growth, 25% growth in income, and 25% international. Well, he's all over the map there on uh, sectors, on investment objective. You've got to, you know, that even, even trying to put that together uh, can be a challenge on what exactly you mean by that. But if you do that, he's talking about a 100% equity portfolio and in your 20s and 30s and 40s, in your accumulation phase, that might be an appropriate uh, allocation for you and your 401k. But when you begin, John, to take money out of your 401k or your IRA, which that soundbite was about, 100% uh, equity is really a pathway to destruction. Yeah, it is. Uh, there is something called sequence of return risk that is not being factored into anything that Dave is talking about. He's talking about earning a straight line 12% rate of return. At GenWealth, we use an 8% rate of return for our longest term equity bucket in the in the uh, GenWealth ready to retire process that we put people through. But but Scott, it is it is fraught with danger, and I want to give you a, uh, an example of of what that actually looks like. Let's take a look at this chart. Uh, Peter Malouk, who is the owner of a firm called Creative Planning in Kansas City, took the time to design this chart after he heard about Dave's eight uh, percent withdrawal rate on and using twelve percent mutual funds and a hundred percent equity portfolio. This chart looks very busy if you're looking at it on on camera. I'm sorry, on screen. 
but let me help you to understand what it says. Essentially, if you have someone who retired in 1965, a 100% equity portfolio, an 8% annual withdrawal rate would run them out of money in something like somewhere between 10 and 15 years. And there are 13 examples of this from 1965 all the way to 2007. If someone started their retirement anytime in those 13 years and they used Dave's 12% mutual fund, 8% annual withdrawal rate, uh, 100% equity portfolio, all of that type of thing, then each one of these basically made your retirement vanish and yeah. and in something less than 15 years. So uh, when you think about a threat to true financial independence, there's documented evidence that this just doesn't work. And our motivation here is not to go nana nana boo boo Dave you're wrong. Right. It is to say, hey, look, this is bad philosophy. This is bad planning. This you don't need to listen to this part of what Dave says because he is in error in in what he's saying. Yeah, there's no question that you don't want your retirement based on that kind of probability. 13 times uh, over that time span where you would have run out of money subscribing to an 8% withdrawal rate from a 100% equity allocation in your investment portfolio. So let's take it a step forward, John. So what is a safe withdrawal rate? Well, that kind of depends too, because there is lots of evidence when it comes to this sequence of return risk. And that is one of the three risks we talk about with our clients in the meeting room. There's sequence risk, inflation risk. You do have to believe in equities, and we'll get into the how we do that uh, in just a few moments, because you can't totally abandon the growth component of your portfolio in retirement because you do have to give yourself raises. And that is one at least category that Dave got right about talking about inflation, but you don't need a 4% uh, growth on your overall portfolio to battle inflation. You need raises to your income in inflation. And that's the difference there uh, where he was off on that. But if you take a look at what is a safe withdrawal strategy with a little bit more of a conservative portfolio, taking a random withdrawal from that portfolio is still risky. So take a look at this chart now. We've got two people here on this one. We're going to call them Zach and Kelly. Uh, and we're assuming in both cases that Zach and Kelly start retirement with a $500,000 portfolio. Now, this is defined as a balanced portfolio. So the, the, the numbers here, the math used here is assuming 60% in equities and 40% in fixed income, which is generally, or at least traditionally, the retirement allocation. A little bit, 60% in equity, 40% in fixed income. The idea being is that your fixed income allocation will be more of uh, a straight line and not as volatile. We didn't we we didn't find that in 2022. In 2022, the 60/40 portfolio, as defined by the indexes, was down double digits. So it's not always the case, and you'll see how this plays out. So this $500,000 invested the same way, withdrawals of 4% annually, adjusted for inflation. So way less than the 8% withdrawal rate that Dave is recommending. And you see, based on the returns, Zach and Kelly end up at a very different place by the time they're 80 years old. They both retire at 65 with $500,000, but you see Zach runs out of money by the time he's 78, and Kelly has more money than she started with at age 78. 
And the only difference there, John, is the sequence of returns. Yeah, I was going to say the big difference is Zach retired in 2000. Kelly retired in 2003. If you remember back to 2000, it was three really bad years back to back in the stock market, negative years, because we had uh, uh, the Y2K thing. We had 9-11. We had some corporate scandals and the market just was going down, down, down for those three years. So Zach had one experience, if you will, with his investments in the stock market in that when he started retirement, the market went down and he was pulling money out. So this is like a tailspin of an airplane that you can't pull out of. Yeah. And so Kelly had the wind at her back. 2003, the market was doing great. And there was great markets for a number of years after Kelly started retirement. So she was able to perform very well. And it is a, it's just an illustration of how volatile this whole thing is. And I will tell you, withdrawal rates are debated in our industry among even the, the nerds and the eggheads, as Dave calls them, uh, the withdrawal rates are, are debated all throughout our industry. And it's like a lot like religion. <laughs> but I think everybody in our industry has been unanimous in chastising Dave for even getting outside the normal discussion of what a safe withdrawal rate is and going up to 8%. Well, and here's the thing, John. It's really not about an arbitrary withdrawal percentage. You know, we can debate that all day long. And I, I should point out, too, I said 4% on Zach and Kelly, but it's 5%. They started at 5%. And they increase it each year by three and a half percent to keep up with inflation. But the reality is we can we, we you could get that that withdrawal rate ratcheted down to a quote unquote safe a safe number if you got down low enough. Right. But the reality is you're still pulling from an investment that potentially could be losing value as you are selling shares, because another term we use for sequence risk it's it's really reverse dollar cost averaging you talk about when you're accumulating money and you've heard us talk about on this show many times the value in continuing to periodically buy shares of an investment and when it drops in value you are buying those shares at a discount in other words you're getting more shares for the same dollar amount when the values are down if those investments go back up over time that is a tremendous advantage for you from an investment perspective. It's not a guarantee of success, but it does create an opportunity to accumulate more shares. And when the value goes up, you've accumulated more dollars. The reverse is true when you are selling those investments to use them as income. So what's the answer? That's really what we need to get to here. It's not an arbitrary withdrawal percentage. It is an investment strategy, John. And here at GenWealth, our ready-to-retire process is a planning process that creates an investment strategy using more than just two asset classes and segmenting them, assigning the dollars, if you will, assigning the investments for certain time periods that you plan to use them in retirement. Scott, I'm a pretty simple guy, and I, I really like to, to put things in simple terms so people can understand it. And here's what you need to understand. It is not a bad market that causes you to lose your financial independence or for your portfolio to go down significantly. It is selling something in a bad market that causes that to happen. Very simply, if you have a 100% equity portfolio, then you're going to have to sell something at some point in time during a bad market because that's where the money is. And so if you take a look at the Gen Wealth Ready to Retire process, we literally put the equity investments over to the side and leave them alone for a minimum of 15 years. 
And that way you don't have to sell something when it's down. Very, very likely over the course of that 15 years, you're going to have a profit in your equity portfolios. And then you can pull that money to refill your fixed income buckets that you've been pulling from all that time. That is the essence of the Gen Wealth Ready to Retire process from an investment strategy standpoint. It is not your investments. It is not your rate of return that makes a difference in you becoming financially independent or not. It is literally the strategy by which you take your retirement income and how that all interplays with each other. That's hard to understand, especially in a short conversation on the radio, but that's what you need to understand in order to have a successful retirement. I think you want as many safety nets and 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 increase the probability of a successful retirement as much as you can when you're building a retirement income plan. So when you talk about even inside of that investment strategy, John, where we want to assign the time frames and have a conservative investment strategy putting very little to potentially no risk to principal in the dollars that you're taking out today and push that risk down the road to grow the dollars for use later in retirement also allowing those dollars to grow which you can uh, give yourself raises in retirement we're still talking about in our retirement planning process john just the discretionary spending is where that's going to come from because really and we're doing this in a little bit reverse order today but you've got to make sure that your floor is set that your required income, which is the money you're going to need to outflow every month to pay expenses and live a very basic lifestyle in retirement, we need that met with guaranteed income sources. And you're going to probably have Social Security. If it's a couple that we're planning for, you're going to have two Social Securities. Finding the best strategy to claim Social Security to maximize those dollars is important. If there's a pension, that gets lumped in to help pay the expenses. And maybe you have enough guaranteed income to pay those expenses. But if you don't, you need to utilize, we would utilize some of the investment portfolio to set up to guarantee a portion of your monthly income enough and up to the point of having your basic lifestyle needs met. When you have that floor, when you have that foundation to your financial house, rock solid with guaranteed income to meet those basic living expenses, it gives you a tremendous amount of, here's a key word, freedom to do what you want to do with the rest of the money. And obviously, what we want you to do is to have a very defined investment strategy where you don't have that sequence risk hit your portfolio so that discretionary income lasts the rest of your life and you have some growth in it so you can give yourself increases in income over time. One more question for you on the Get Ready for the Future show today. Mike in Hot Springs asks, Dave Ramsey often berates life insurance salespeople for selling whole life or cash value life insurance, but life insurance agents are just as passionate about the positive aspects of the product. What say you? Well, I say that financial products don't have a soul. They don't have a personality. They are not inherently good or bad. What is good or bad is how those financial products are used and how they are represented by an insurance salesperson about what they can and can't do. Scott, over the 30-something years that I've been in this industry, I have had people try to convince me that a cash value whole life insurance will make my bed, serve me breakfast, and drive me to work. <laughs> That'd be and, pretty nice. And it would be pretty nice. It won't do that. And it won't do some of the things that insurance agents say that it will. Uh, I think that, that we, like Dave, 
think that term life insurance is the right life insurance for the vast majority of people. And here's where this boils down to. You can't afford enough cash value life insurance to properly replace the income that you're making right now to your family if you have a death during your working years. You likely cannot afford enough of it because people need way more life insurance than they're oftentimes even comfortable having on their own life. Because when you do the math on income replacement, even if you moderate it a little bit off of what your actual income is to say, you know, you're not going to be around spending money, it's still a very large number. And so we think that term life insurance has to do that job. That's job number one is to replace the income of the breadwinner because your family would be suffering if something happened to you and your income were suddenly cut off. Now, what I will say is that in certain cases, there are a, there is some case need for a, a permanent type of insurance. The one thing that I can think of, Scott, is if you have a lot of money in your estate, maybe you have a very high-valued uh, small business that you're going to leave to your family, uh, if that passes on to the next generation, there's going to be a tax bill on that. Yep. And uh, frankly, in 2025, that tax bill is probably going to be a lot higher than it would be if you died in 2023 yep. or 2024. So there, there's some complexities there that you've got to have the liquidity to be able to pay those estate taxes. And you may have to pay those estate tax, or your family may have to pay those estate taxes when you're 90, 95 years old, whatever the case may be. So there is a liquidity need in some cases there. Another key area that, that cash value life insurance does have some validity on is sort of the same type of situation, except when you have a special needs child. And, and when I'm talking child, I'm talking about an adult child who is, uh, you know, uh, still needing to be cared for well into your retirement years and what have you. That special needs child has lots of restrictions on how they can have income. And most of the t special needs kids have something called a special needs trust. That trust needs to be funded with money that can carry on providing for those needs after your death. And so there is a long period of time that there may be a need for a life insurance death benefit that is a tax-free death benefit that could land in that special needs trust to provide income for that child. There are limited use cases of cash value life insurance, but here's what I want to really caution everybody about. Anytime someone says to you, never do this or always do that, I think you've got to question that because there are there is no life is not a cookie cutter situation. You've got to think about what the overall need is for that situation and address that need. We believe term life insurance does a great job and are huge advocates for term life insurance in the vast majority of life insurance needs. But there are some areas where cash value life insurance actually can play a critical role. Yeah, the word unique comes to mind. Everybody's situation is unique. And certainly back to the Dave Ramsey discussion, he has such a large audience, John, there's no way he can talk to anybody on a one-on-one -on -one basis. He's got an audience of 18 million people per week. So he tends to talk about things in black and white and absolutes. And I do think there are principles, as we've already discussed on our show today, that are very valuable to apply across the board because it gets you steered in the right direction. It gets you creating good financial habits and avoiding bad financial habits. And certainly that puts people on the path 
to true financial independence. But when it comes to choosing investments, choosing a type of insurance, I don't think you want to rely on Dave Ramsey's advice to do that. That's not the position he's really in and not the position he serves others in. He's a motivator. He's uh, laying principles, writing books to get people going in the right direction. But I think ultimately you need a financial advisor who works on these specific types of things every day with clients to really get the tremendous value that you need. Scott, I just uh, remembered one other thing I wanted to say about the whole cash value life insurance thing. And this has just come into effect since the uh, SECURE Act went into play. If you are leaving your IRA or Roth IRA, let's talk talk IRA or 401k plan. If you're leaving that to a non-spouse beneficiary, let's say your children, uh, and you think, okay, well, I've got a million dollars in my IRA account. They're going to be in good shape. Here's the issue. That million dollars is going to have to be distributed from that IRA account and subject to taxes over a 10-year period of time. Now, likely when you're going to pass away is probably about the time that your children have their highest earning years. So all that money is going to hit in a, in a higher tax bracket than, than it normally would. Cash value life insurance paid to those uh, folks, to your non-spouse beneficiary, and using money from the IRA has suddenly come into vogue because of the manipulation that Congress did in the SECURE Act back in 2020. Another reason not to say never or always, because things change. That's exactly right. As you just highlighted there, you heard the final bell, and John, it's time for final thoughts, and we'll start with you. You know, again, I want to go back to, uh, you know, our premise of this show. It is not to beat up Dave Ramsey because obviously he is a giant in in radio. He has the the like the second most listened to radio show in, in the nation. But it is our responsibility. It is our fiduciary duty to call out misinformation when it's out there. And when it comes to investments, then what you have to understand is that Dave has no licenses. He has no regulatory structure or anything of that nature that he has to answer to. Those regulations are in place to protect you, and we have to abide by those. And that's why we wanted to call out the differences here that we've seen in 12% mutual funds, 8% withdrawal rate, 100% equity investments in those mutual funds. All of those things can be a threat to your financial independence if you follow misguided philosophy. My final thought is if you heard something today that you really would like to know more about, we are always here to take your calls, to set an appointment, especially if you are beginning to think about retirement and starting to think about that portfolio and what to do with it, how to invest it, how much can I take out safely on a regular basis. It's time to go through the Gen Wealth Ready to Retire process if that's the case. And you can do that by calling 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526 to set up your first appointment with a Gen Wealth advisor. And we'd be happy to walk you through the ready to retire process and build a retirement income plan designed for you. And that's all the time we have for this first show of 2024. We thank you for helping us kick off the new year. And if you have questions, be sure to get them to us. Just call 501 381 5228. You can leave a voicemail or you can send a text to that number and we'll answer them on the air. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. 
And if you want to help us get the word out on building towards financial independence, leave us a rating and review. The GenWealth Financial Team is available to you 24-7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.